0: God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As the circumstances of the world become more extreme and confusing, we must tune our ears to the voice of our Heavenly Father. His revelation is essential to navigate the road ahead. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Solon. Now as we continue a study of Revelation the 14th, chapter we wanted to look at certain particulars about the remnant saved out of Israel we've looked already at the fact that they are a company of twelve times twelve times a thousand. the kingdom of heaven of course has as its territorial domains both heaven and earth and uh, In heaven, around the throne of God, there are twenty-four elders, signifying that the government of God, referenced in the number 12, the government of God functions in both heaven and earth. the 12 times 12, the twin references to 12, would indicate that the government of God applies over heaven and earth. So these people, configured according to the government of God, though they may be seen in heaven as they were in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, seen on the earth here, Mount Zion, in. Uh, Revelation 14, they are both a natural people or people gathered naturally but have a spiritual reality to them. They are people of heaven and earth, they live on the earth, they are of heaven, born of man, born again of the Spirit of God. And the company is descriptive of the kingdom of God in its configuration of 12 and 12 and the multitude is the is the number thousand which references a generous uh, number. Th- the thousand as I mentioned earlier in one of the earlier broadcasts, the number 1000 was the highest number in the mathematical scheme of the ancient world. So everything was a multiple of a thousand. So if you have uh, 12, times 12 times a thousand that speaks of a complete company. A thousand times a thousand and 10,000 times 10,000 is a reference to the overabundance of God. This is the description of the multitude that could not be numbered of the Gentiles. So from gathered in over the over the last two thousand years since the inception of the church and before that gathered uh, from the likes of uh, uh, Noah and uh, uh, those before the law and all the way from Adam Uh, to Moses, the righteous of the earth, they would all be Gentiles. Now that great number, that great multitude, uh, is is referenced also in the 7th chapter of the book of Revelation as a multitude that could not be numbered. So the remnant of the Jews is described as a perfect company, which has more to do with the intentions of God than any other singular consideration. And this number standing on Mount Zion—really, that's standing on Mount Zion. What's that? Why Mount Zion? Why not, um, you know? Uh, Mount of Olives because that's where the temple stood. So it's speaking of them as fulfilling what God originally meant to display among the Jews by allowing the temple to be built. They are the select out of Israel of the original intent of God the remnant at the last at the last showing it was never about a temple it was never about animal sacrifices it was never the dwelling place of god as god intended god always intended to dwell in a people that's why he puts them on mount zion and puts them with the lamb it's a foreshadowing of when the Lord returns and all of His become the naos of God, the dwelling place of God. It's a a veiled reference, a type and shadow reference, uh, first to the temple in Jerusalem, because you remember the temple in Jerusalem was called the Father's house. Jesus said, My Father's house would be a house of prayer but you've made it a den of thieves. It was a physical structure then but meant to represent the meeting place between God and man. Inasmuch as the epicenter of the temple showed Christ as our propitiation in the form of the Ark of the Covenant that contained uh, Aaron's rod that budded, the idea of a people who have eternal life, inasmuch as they're not attached to the ground for their sustenance, a people who are fed by the economy of the seventh day, part of manna, type and shadow is how they were fed in the wilderness, and a people organized for the purposes of God as a holy nation, the Book of the Law and the Ten Commandments. So Mount Zion had the temple with that box at the epicenter of it, type and shadow. Now God is showing what He really meant to put on Mount Zion out of Israel a remnant of people who were His people. This is not a made up notion of anything. He had said to Israel before He instructed the making of either the tabernacle or the temple, He had said to Israel via Moses in Exodus 19, "...although the whole earth is mine, you shall be for Me." A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God did not intend that it would be only the tribe of Levi who would be a, pri- a tribe of priests. God intended the whole nation to be a tribe of, uh, to be a people who were a people for his possession priests and kings. They were meant to be a type and shadow reference to the whole earth, but of course as they rejected Christ uh, uh, 2,000 years later, as they rejected Christ, so they rejected the first invitation of God and sent up Moses as a mediator. Moses would say to them, there's coming one after Me, Him you will hear in all things that He commands you. So Moses would point to the reality of Christ as transcending the law and the type and shadow of the law, the temple and the rest of it. And so now we see that the Lamb on Mount Zion with the 140 and 4,000, as being the fulfillment of what God offered to Israel when He invited them to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It is this remnant in which that invitation is finally fulfilled. And they have His Father's name written on their foreheads, having the Father of the Lamb, having His name written on their foreheads. Why? Because these are the ones who have been called from all the twelve tribes Whether it's an exact 144,000 or a representational number that is generous beyond 144,000 is not the point. The point is they were the ones who were selected according to their fellowship with the Lamb to wear the name of the Father on their foreheads. Now at this point, I just want for us to take a glance back at the mark of the beast, because the mark of the beast is also to be upon their foreheads and upon their right hands. The distinguishing mark on the right hand is not duplicated with those who have the Father's name on their foreheads. Why? Because the mindset of those with the Father's name on their foreheads, relative to their provision and protection, to their economy, is that they already understand, they have a renewed mind to know that the Father and not the sweat of their brow, not the work of their right hand, which signifies the strength of the human being, the ability to fashion his own economy. That's the Father who is their economy. So that's why the name of the Father is not written on their right hand because inasmuch as their minds are renewed, they are already engrafted into the economy of the Father because the meaning of the term father's name written on their foreheads is not, again, in any measure to be considered a literal writing, no more than the mark of the beast is to be considered some form of tattoo or some form of chip implanting or you know a way of tracking people by the insertion of some technology into their bodies all of that is just stupid yeah it's just I, I can't dignify it beyond that because it's carnal it's a carnal understanding of what is designed to be understood only as a spiritual reality and that's why so many people are going to be deceived and are already deceived because they keep looking for physical manifestations of divine symbology, of things that are meant to symbolize invisible but very real things. This is a game of children, children are playing silly games and gaining a lot of traction. All we can do is speak the truth in the place of this foolishness and hope that those who have ears to hear and eyes to see will hear and see. I know that most people aren't going to hear and going to see and what I'm saying is more likely to infuriate religious people than it is going to save them out of their folly, I know that. I'm not willing, it's not my desire that that be so, I just know that that's how people are and because they have choice they have to be allowed to choose, even God permits that, doesn't keep people from choosing. So it is what it is. Having the Father's name written on their foreheads, that means they have had a renewed mind. Just as the Scriptures say, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ, who." being in nature God but being found in the form of man, humbled himself to the cross uh, and and because of that God highly exalted him, gave him a name that is above every name. So having the mind of Christ means you understand because you are connected to the Spirit of God through your spirit and therefore you're connected to the mind of God by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit you see, the Spirit of God searches the mind of God and retrieves for us all that is in the mind of God available to us and then downloads that into the minds of our spirits. So we have a renewed mind which is identical to the mind that was in Christ. That's what's meant by having the Father's name written on their foreheads. The same, the opposite would be true of those with the mark of the beast on their foreheads. On their right hands, we know that relates to their economy. On their foreheads, it relates to a mind of sin, where they have been compromised by. Uh, their preference for the lies of the enemy. Just as our great ancestors Adam and Eve chose to believe the lies of the enemy and agreed with his lies when he said, "...the fruit on the tree was desirable to make them wise." The ancient uh, misconception and the resulting deception was how their minds were altered, the minds of their souls were altered to reject the truth and to embrace the lie that Satan offered them. You have to understand that when a person's mind is aligned with that of Satan, this is what he really, it, it comes to be what he or she really believes. Don't think that they halfway believe it. They actually believe it. Just as when a mind of a person is accurately aligned to the Spirit of God and therefore to the mind of Christ, they actually believe these things. Everything is ripening. Everything is coming to that conclusion. So having their father's name written on their foreheads means they can hear God. Their minds have been reconfigured to the hearing of God and that's what's said next. And I heard a voice from heaven, so John is allowed to see this from the viewpoint of the earth and specifically from the viewpoint of Mount Zion and he heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of a loud thunder. The voice of God has been defined as the sound of many waters. Now. When the voice of God is heard on the earth, it is typically heard as either a loud thunder or the voice of many waters. And, For example, at the baptism of Jesus, the voice of God was heard as a thunder. So that portion of the voice speaks from out of the person of God. When it speaks like the voice of many waters, it's the people of God saying what is, God is saying what He's saying through the multitude of His people. So God is in chorus with the redeemed. Now, this is actually fulfilling a scripture found in Hebrews the second chapter in which Christ speaks and those who follow Him echo and what Christ speaks is, we will do the will of God and what those following Him speak we will put our trust in You, this is from Hebrews chapter 2. And then Christ will speak again and this time He says, Here I am and the children you have given to me. This is Hebrews the second chapter. Let me go to it very quickly because it is actually this song that is being sung among a remnant of the Jews, in the company of the Lamb. And it's actually a quote from Isaiah, and I think also from the Psalms, but it's certainly a quote from Isaiah. This is a quote, uh, we'll go to Hebrews, the second chapter, and uh, I think it is, uh, yeah, here it is. Hebrews chapter two. Says verse eleven. Verse ten, for it became it became him, for whom all things were created, and by whom all things are, in bringing many sons to glory. It, it was appropriate that Christ, whose purpose was to bring many sons to glory, uh, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So God allowed Christ to be made perfect through suffering. For both He who makes men holy- that would be Christ- and those who are made holy- that's us- are of the same family- that's the term adelphos which means to be born of the same womb and because of which Jesus is not ashamed then to call us brothers. You come from the same womb, you are brothers. And Jesus says this, "...I will declare your name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praises." So what do we have here? "...I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like the voice of a loud thunder, I heard harpists playing their harps, they sang a new song. What's the new song? They're saying, "...to Christ." The remnant on Mount Zion are a spiritual company drawn out of Israel and they are with the Lamb when this happens. They're saying, "...to the Lamb," or the Lamb is saying, part of His song is, "...I will declare the name Your name to My brethren and in the midst of this congregation I will sing Your praises." And he was actually quoting from Isaiah, "...to which they will respond," the congregation of the brethren will respond, "...and again, I will put my trust in Him." So this remnant is defined as those who put their trust in the Lord. And then he will say to the Father, "Behold, here I am, and the children you have given to me." So Jesus acknowledges the remnant out of the tribe of Israel, out of the twelve tribes of Israel, and he does so in the company of all of those who have been redeemed in heaven, because those on the earth and those who are in heaven join in that song and nobody can sing it on the earth at this time except those, 144, the company of the 144, who have been redeemed of the earth. So what is the new song? The new song, as I have said, Comprises of a back and forth between heaven and earth, voice of many waters, and the Lamb. The Lamb and the company of the saved on earth, joining the company of those who are saved in heaven, and they're singing back and forth with Christ to the Father. And the song is, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. And I will sing your praises with them. In the midst of everything that's going on, the beast and all of that, the Lamb is standing with the company on Mount Zion, joining the company in heaven, being the voice of many waters and the voice like thunder, the voice of God speaking out of the chorus of the many voices and this is happening on earth as a witness to the earth that heaven and earth have met in this company of the redeemed out of the nation of Israel. By the way, this is the last grouping that will be redeemed of the earth, the final cut as it were. And then, the people, the ones singing, the Lord will sing declaring His name among the brethren, unto the brethren and in the congregation sing, joining them in singing the praises of God. The people will say to Christ, We put our trust in You. Finally, not in the beast, not in His economy, we put our trust in You. And then Jesus will say, Here I am, or the Lamb will say, Here I am, and the children you have given to me out of this nation, joining with the company of those you've given to me out of every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. That's the beauty of this song. And nobody on the earth, you see, nobody on the earth could sing this song with them. Why? Because these are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. I want to remind you, and they follow the Lamb wherever He goes, no deceit is found in their mouth. Very quickly, the Scriptures say, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins, who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. This is Matthew 24, the parable of the, 12, the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. The foolish virgins are like the Israel who rejected Christ, the wise are like the, the Israel that accepted and are part of this company and they're called virgins they have not defiled themselves with women. The woman in reference here will be more aptly and more fully unpacked in Revelation the 17th chapter, the false church. They did not defile themselves by becoming corrupted with the false church. It's not a a reference to 144000 males exclusive of women because if you haven't defiled yourself with a woman it <laughs> it it would exclude women wouldn't it no it's speaking of the spirits of just men made perfect the spirits of just persons made perfect who have not defiled themselves with the harlot that we'll see again in Revelation 17. So it's inclusive of men and women because it's a spiritual company. What is true of a spiritual company? Neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free. And if we're talking about a remnant saved out of Israel, how dare we speak of them as being anything but a spiritual people in which the designation male and female does not apply because that applies to their humanity. And the woman who would defile them is the false church, the one that deceives even Israel in the company of the false prophet who collaborate with the beast in leading the nations into that captivity. That's what these things mean, the evidence of it is everywhere in the Scriptures. But we have chosen historically, teachers chose historically to continue to pursue a logical understanding of of, uh, the book of Revelation ignoring that above everything else it is the compendium of all the symbols and references and themes of God's relationship to mankind in creation that makes it intrinsically, inherently, a spiritual inquiry and that's what we've done. We are restoring that understanding and unpacking the mystery of it by divine revelation and Sam Solon will continue to unpack the book of Revelation going forward from where we are in the 14th chapter. Grace and peace be with you, Amen.